Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fin side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side. Joined by Paul Pickett, I am Brian Kettenzero. I will be your host tonight. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can subscribe to our, our iTunes channel. You can subscribe to YouTube. You can find us a lot of different ways. You can also tweet your messages. And we'll read them on the air to FinsideQ, F-I-N-S-I-D-E-Q. Hashtag before that, obviously. Paul, rough loss here for the Miami Dolphins. Before we get into that, though, a few pieces of news coming out of Miami, actually, you know, that, that have been around for, for a little bit, too. Jay Ajaye supposedly pouting after having the starting job not handed to him and given to Arian Foster. What do you make of this? I was big on Ajayi coming into this preseason. I think he had a rough preseason. By all reports, he really started the moping at the point they brought Arian Foster in, and it only got worse from there, but I just saw being named the starter in Miami to be a symbolic gesture at this point. I mean, it, the plan always has been or seemed to be for them to be platooning. So whether Foster's listed as a starter, Ajayi's listed as a starter, they're both going to get their carries. Now he doesn't get his carries by sulking and pouting and getting told to stay the hell home. He, he needs to figure out how to put on his big boy pants, be a professional, and earn his couple million dollars. Because otherwise, I've got no time for people like that, especially in a team game like this. Couldn't have said it better myself, Paul. And Ajayi, the entitlement of this guy is flat out shocking. I mean, talking about a former fifth round pick who averaged 3.8 yards a carry last year. It got worse and worse as it, as it went by. Foster was clearly better than him. And he demonstrated that here in the Seahawks game where he has 100 total yards, especially in also a 50-yard catch peppered into that too. I would take I would take Foster over him. I would take Isaiah Pede. I would take Kenyon Drake. Jay Ajayi, to me, is flat out slow. He reminds me of LeGarrette Blunt, where if you need a late game bell cow, then I think he serves a role. He's somebody that is good to have on the team in that role. But no, absolutely. I, I, he pouted over after he was unproductive and did not get the starting job. I'm glad he was told to stay home. So hopefully he picks up his ad to a little bit and starts to make some sort of impact for the Miami Dolphins. A few other pieces of injury news. Paul Devontae Parker reports coming out of Miami that he should be available for week two. How big of an impact is Parker's return going to make? I think that's pretty big. I mean, I'm high on Peru. I'm high on Jakeem Grant. I haven't really seen enough of Justin Hunter yet to see what he's offering at this point in time. But Devontae Parker is above those three right now and getting another receiving threat. You saw Miami came up just short this weekend, which I know we're going to get into, and having Devontae Parker back, hopefully having a better frame of mindset, Jay Ajayi back, given the fact that Miami got into a few third and short situations, fourth and short situation going for it, things like that, could be pretty critical and could be the deciding factor in a game like this. They've proven they can step out against a Super Bowl contender in Seattle. They're going to have to do it again against New England. Granted, it's without... 
Tom Brady, but they went out and beat the Cardinals in Arizona, so they are going to be a tough matchup this week. Yeah, Devontae Parker, to me, was a huge loss in this game because, yeah, he is not that complete receiver yet. He's got a long way to go, both in terms of physical ability and, and being a professional, but I'll tell you what, that over-the-top ability that he brought, like that catch against the Baltimore Ravens last year, was what was really missing. You know, people dog Parker, but you look at his production last year when he finally got on the field, he had 445 yards receiving in his final six games of the year. You translate that to a 16-game schedule, and you're talking about over 1,200 yards. So I, I think his, his return is going to be huge, especially in terms of bringing a little bit more size to the receiving core. Uh, Mike Pouncey, a little bit iffy for the next for next week, maybe over the next couple of weeks, but based on how Anthony Steen's playing, I don't think he's going to be that big of a, a big of a loss if he's out the next two weeks. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you look at the three that we're talking about right now between Ajayi, Parker, and Pouncey. Pouncey's the only former Pro Bowler here. He's probably the only one with a shot at the Pro Bowl this year, and he's probably the least impactful of the three to be missing right now because Steen has done such a fantastic job at center. I can't point to a single play in the, this past game where Steen was the issue. And Steen and, and Tunzel, you know, we got them at center and left guard. Say that, you know, depending on, on what they decide to do with, with Pouncey, I mean, maybe Pouncey comes back at center, reclaims that position. Maybe who moves to right guard long term? Who knows? But now you've got some options up there. And having Tunzel and Steen not making very much money is definitely big. So I, I hope this continues. At that worst, Steen is going to be a very, very good backup at all three interior line spots moving forward. Paul, looking at the game, we're going to do – what we're going to do every single week here on the Fin side throughout the rest of the year, we are going to grade every single position based on the previous week's game. Let's start at the quarterback position, Paul, with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I'll start this one out. I'm going to give Ryan Tannehill in the quarterback spot. I'm going to go with a B. And I look at this and and I I see that the biggest the big play the big goof play of the game was obviously at the beginning of the second quarter Kenny Stills drops a sure-handed could not be easier 71-yard touchdown that would have changed the entire landscape of the game. You take Tannehill stats which were 19 for 26 100 50 something yards and you you put a 71 yard touchdown onto that you're talking about over 251 yard over 250 yards for Ryan Tannehill in this game a touchdown and a win against Seattle I I thought in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage and calling audibles, it was very, very impressive. I, I'm, I, it looks like he more knew what he was doing out there. A couple of, uh, you know, he didn't play a perfect game. One thing was on that fourth and inches, I really wish he had taken control, gone up to the line when Seattle wasn't set, and buried it through for that, that extra yard. But overall, I, I think I was, I was pretty impressed with this game. I'm not going to give him higher than a B, simply because at the end of the day, the offense scored 10 points. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit with you. I'm a little bit not here. I'm going to go with a B plus, bordering on an A minus, which seems ridiculous given the fact that he only had 186 yards here. But he did take control of the offense. He marched the offense down the field. His fakes on the read option were some of the best I've ever seen. He gutted it out for that touchdown dive on a play that we've seen against Miami so many times in recent years and never seen Miami have the guts to run. So there were a lot of really good things here. Like you said, he hit stills in stride, and unfortunately, it didn't pan out. I would have loved to have seen him take control and take that dive on fourth down. But again, I'm impressed with what I saw, especially against a ridiculously stout defense in Seattle. I didn't see very many mistakes, and when he did, he owned them, got up, manned up, 
and, and made the next play. So good for him. I wish we could have pulled it out, but I can't put that on his shoulders. I really do like that Tannehill is proactively running in certain situations, too. It gives the Dolphins an entirely different look on offense. The running back spot, Paul, Arian Foster, first time here in Miami, did not have the 106 yards rushing that Omar Miller had, but still did make an impact. How do you grade out the running back's position? I'm going to give him a B-, minus, but I was very happy with what I saw. I actually thought Damian Williams, when he got in the game, did okay. Um, we have to factor in the receiving because they were the running backs were more of a factor in the receiving game than they were in the running game. But for me, it, it is a B minus here. I thought he looked good. There were some really nice moves he had. I loved watching him run over a few guys and run around the rest. So good for him. And, and kudos to Damian Williams. I didn't expect much from him at all this year, and he really stepped into that void left by Ajayi. Yeah, I can't wait until they get Kenyon Drake and Isaiah Pede and a little more of these receiving formations. I'm just glad to see some screen passes finally. You know, it's and this is something Adam Gase that's made his quarterbacks in previous regimes and, and recently Jay Cutler very, very successful. I hope they keep showing these looks. I'm going to give them a C-plus very simply because running the football, Foster and Damian Williams combined, longest run was nine yards, 15 carries for for. 47 yards in the day, just over three yards of carry. But like you said, Paul, more of a factor in the blocking and the receiving game. So I'm going to go with the C plus. Uh, the wide receiver, actually, we're going to combine the receivers and the tight ends as one unit, Paul. If, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that one player in particular sticks out among this receiving core, and not for really the right reasons either. You're talking about Jordan Cameron because he caught passes this time, right? Because that was an unforeseen uh-huh. thing. Yes, exactly. Go for it. <laughs> the, the receivers and the tight ends had a rough day. I I, I watched the game with my father, and uh, I remember remarking to him early after Kenny Stills had his, his drop. His could have caught it, maybe couldn't have a second drop. And then Jordan Cameron had two receptions and asked him, what the hell's going on here? Jordan Cameron's catching everything, and Kenny Stills is suddenly dropping everything. This is not what I expected today. But no, they, they had a really rough day. And I really can't fully credit Seattle's secondary for it. They still had him beat a few times and his one opportunity, which is a golden opportunity. You had, he had time to pause and ensure that he caught the ball. And instead he just kind of tried to run with it before he had it, didn't look it all the way in and watched it sail past him off his hands. So that was a rough one. I, I know a lot of folks po- point to that as the reason that Miami lost the game, but I really look at it as three plays, which we can probably get into in a little bit because it wasn't just the Kenny Stills drop. Kenny Stills drop did not equate to 13 points. There were two other field goal issues that we'll get to. But I got to go with a C here, uh, and that's being, you know, C minus. Actually, I'm not even going to be that generous. We're going with a C minus. Sure. I need to get a lot more out of the receiving core. Sure, give give them hell. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with a D. I mean, I, I it seemed like it was Jarvis Landry and a lot of failure. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Kenny. It wasn't just the Kenny Stills drop 71-yard touchdown. It was that play. Then two plays later, for a first down, you go right back to Stills, and he drops it again. It may have been a little more difficult catch to make, but you got to make it at this level. And there were two other times where Kenny Stills, I thought, was open in the secondary and either wasn't looking for the ball or was overthrown by Tannehill. But at least the talent is there with Kenny Stills. Now it's a matter of him being able to put it all together, but he's never been able to put it all together. So I, I don't know if we're, we're holding out hope for the wrong reasons, but you know, he's a free agent after the year. We'll see what we have with Kenny Stills throughout the rest of the year. But 
Paul, the thing I point to is you look at besides Jarvis Landry, you know, the amount of resources that have been put in a wide receiver and tight end among Devontae Parker, Leontay Carew, Jordan Cameron, and Kenny Stills. They combined for five catches for 36 yards and three drops this game. That's not good enough, and and this this is a receiving unit that needs to get a lot better. Devontae Parker, I can't wait for him to come back next week. If for nothing else, to just be an over-the-top threat. Congratulations to Carew for catching his first two NFL passes. He should factor in a little bit here as, as that, that fourth receiving type, but not good enough in this game. I'm going to give them a D. Offensive line, different unit. Uh, Anthony Steen settles in at center to replace Mike Pouncey. Laramie Tunzel gets his first NFL start. Paul, um, thoughts on the offensive line and, and the New York, the new look unit? I really like what I saw out of the line. I mean, Seattle's defensive front, the front seven, really, not just their line, are an impressive ass unit between Cliff Avril, Michael Bennett, Tony McDaniel, who we talked about a lot last week, their linebacking core. They're a group that can give any offensive line fits. I didn't see the line need a huge amount of help. Granted, some, at times, some of the running backs and Jordan Cameron were helping out, which is going to happen anyway, but I didn't see it as a necessity more of what the scheme was at that point in time. And yeah, they gave up five sacks, I believe, but one sack was Tannehill was running out of bounds because no one was open, and somebody happened to slap him piece of fabric on his jersey so he gets credited with a sack. Another one was a very obvious mix-up between Juwan James and Jermon Bushrod towards the end of the game, where Juwan let his guy go to the inside thinking Bushrod would pick him up, not realizing Bushrod was fully engaged. So, yeah, a little bit of a communication issue there. But overall, you take those two plays out, the line allowed three sacks. Tannehill had a lot of time very often throughout the day. Time to make his reads, time to make his decisions. Good for them. I'll give them a B plus because this is something we haven't seen in a really long time. I'm going to go with a with a B minus. I I agree with a lot of what you said, Paul. That I thought overall the pass protection, besides those three plays that you mentioned, was very good. In fact, I, I'll even go a step further. I thought it was great for most of the game. Yeah. At the end of the day, you do look at the stat sheet and see the five sacks. Two of them, yeah, were kind of based on the situation. I also say in terms of the run blocking department, 15 carries for 47 yards for running backs. I, I thought the line did a fair job of run blocking, but not a great one. So I. I am very encouraged with what I saw with this offensive line, specifically Brandon Albert and Juwan James on the outside. You know, you've got two of the best rushers in the game, Paul, and Avril and Michael Bennett out there, the best tandems in the game. And you didn't hear much from him other than Bennett Sack. So I'm encouraged by what I saw. And the big reason for my B-minus grade is because the Seahawks defense is so good. Moving along to the off to the, to the defensive side of the ball, Paul, uh, we have a lot of high expectations for this defensive line heading into this year. Started to show some signs of being able to take over an opposing offensive line. Uh, I'd say more than some signs, even. It's, if they were facing a less mobile quarterback than Russell Wilson, I think there would have been a hell of a lot more sacks on the day than the three that they got. The defensive line was absolutely impressive, and there's not a single guy that got time on that line that I can't point to something amazing that they did throughout the game. I mean, you look at Jordan Phillips and what he did when he basically blew the guard back so fast that he tripped up Russell Wilson and forced a fumble on one play. You look at everything in Dominican Sue did throughout the day. Cameron Wake, Mario Williams, they were in the backfield all day long until Williams got the concussion. And Jason Jones, Andre Branch, and Julius Wormsley all had meaningful impact plays throughout the game. This defense really started up front, and, and 
is the biggest unit for this team, and every single person down that depth chart, even Earl Mitchell, had uh, had their moments throughout. So bravo to this defensive line. It is the one unit that I am completely comfortable giving a solid A to for this game. Solid A. I'm going to go with a. I'm going to go with a an A minus. I, I agree. I mean, it's it was it was impressive, and I I thought yeah, Cameron Wake out into the backfield many times, and if not for Russell Wilson running around back there trying to make plays, I, I thought you would have had a few sacks from him. Jordan Phillips was absolutely dominant. I mean, his ability to take the person in front of him and just shove him back into the quarterback and then get his hand up at the last minute to try to to knock the pass away was was big. Uh, Mario Williams got his first NFL sack. Um, he does have a concussion after the game, so that's something that, that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Earl Mitchell even looked better. And yeah, Andre Branch and Jason Jones, Jason Jones had half a sack. Branch, I thought, could have had one or two as well, but he looked the part too. So very, very impressed. By far, you got to look at this defensive line and say that this is the most exciting thing that the, Dolph- that the Dolphins have on their team moving forward. The linebackers, Paul, I got to tell you, we ripped this unit apart in preseason for the most part. The, the trio of, of Kiko Alonso, Jelani Jenkins, and Koamisi. I, I I'll go with this first. I I'm going to give go again. I'm going to go ahead and give them an A minus for this unit too. I thought they were all over the field. Yeah, and I'll agree with you on the A minus. I mean, my biggest knock on these guys going into the preseason and, and, and still is I need to see these guys hold up health wise. That's my biggest knock and biggest worry with this unit. Other than that, I, I thought they had a great game, and in particular, Kiko and Kawamisi. I thought Jelani Jenkins was was decent. I didn't think he showed too too much special this game. He was a little bit invisible at times, but there was nothing egregious from him. But yeah, I'll completely echo you on that A minus. Yeah, Kiko Alonso. He's not the he's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy. But having him in those pass protection lanes or, or in those passing lanes, I think causes a huge impact. Creates a lot more speed around the rest of the defense because in that zone defense, I saw Kiko Alonso handing that tight end or that running back off very fluidly to Rashad Jones and to Isa Abdul Kudis as well. So very exciting to see that. Is he a thumper? No. Koa Misi, I thought, had a great game tackling and even defending the pass out in the flats, too. Very encouraged, yes. Like I said, I gave, I'll give him an A-. minus. The new look secondary, by far the biggest pain point for the Miami Dolphins fans this preseason, did grade out pretty well, Paul, other than maybe the final series. Uh, how do you break down this unit? Honestly, I, I think of all the games that I flipped around to throughout the day and throughout the weekend, I didn't see a better pair of safeties playing this weekend than I did in Miami or for Miami in Rashad Jones and Isa. Those two were just straight out all over the field, whether it was making plays in the backfield and run support. The, I think Isa's interception that Kiko would have had if Isa didn't, but hey, you know what? Issa High pointed it, so good for him. They were all over the place and really limited, very powerful Seahawks offense. Russell Wilson, you don't see him turn the ball over very much. And, yeah, not not just the secondary, but his defense as a whole set apart and at least two turnovers for him. So I can't say enough good things. And honestly, from the corner position, yeah, there were a few issues on that last drive. But overall, throughout the day, they did a phenomenal job between Byron Maxwell between Xavier and Howard being just as good as advertised, if not better. And even Bobby McCain when he was in the nickel. Lots of good things to say. I'm going to go 
I'll, I'll give him a B plus for this game, but I'm right on the border with an A minus in it. Yeah, I'm going to go with a B plus as well. Uh, the only thing that takes him down from an A or an A minus to a B plus is that final drive. Um, Byron Maxwell struggled to cover Doug Baldwin on the final drive. Didn't throughout the rest of the game, but you know, overall Maxwell, I thought his first game besides the final drive was a pretty good one on a down to down basis. Uh, Xavier Howard, you know, didn't look like he was lost out there. Russell Wilson came out in the first two drives, went after Xavier Howard, and I felt for the most part that he was up to the challenge, and that is a huge first step for Xavier Howard. Bobby McCain did let up the game-winning touchdown to, to Doug Baldwin, but other than that, checkmarked a lot of boxes, but still can't overlook <laughs> giving up the game-winning drive or the game-winning pass. Yeah, safeties can't say enough good things about them. Issa and Rashad Jones all over the field can play the pass, good tacklers, ball hawks, you name it, they have it. So I'm going to give the unit a B plus would be an A or an A minus if not for the game winning drive. Typically, Paul, you know, this is kind of like the opposite of last year where every week when we were grading these positions, we always had the special teams as a, a B plus or an A minus. I'm sure we're not going to go that high with the grades this week. No, no, unless you've been drinking since the last grade you just did. I'm pretty sure neither of us is going to. I know I'm sure. <laughs> No, they had a rough day. Uh, Matt Matt Dar, I won't put him in this in this block, but everyone else along the special teams, uh, it's between that final possession where Jakeem Grant decided to run it out of the end zone and run eight to ten seconds off the clock to get worse field position than he would have for just downing it. Or if you want to look at the easy chip shot miss by Franks earlier in the game, if you want to look at the block steal goal where I love what he did on offense. Do not get me wrong, but Tunzel got too big of a split. So two guys were able to line up solely on him, drive him into the backfield and block the, the field goal. There were some critical game-changing mistakes on special teams. And Matt yeah. Dar is the guy that keeps this out of the F territory because he did punt well all day. So I'm going to give him a D, but let's face it, either of those two field goals get made. Kenny Stills isn't as big of a goat to everybody, and I don't mean that as greatest of all time this week as, as people think he is. Yeah, and I'll give him a D-plus on here just to be different, but yeah, it's a lot of mistakes. You had the Franks block kick. Yeah, you're right. It was Laramie Tunzel's part, partially his fault on that because he let the defender get too close to the football. Uh, but still, the Franks had the opportunity, too, to kick that a little higher. He did kick that a little low, but I'm going to put the blame on Tunzel mostly. Matt Dar is phenomenal. Um, Damian Williams also had a third-quarter penalty that really hurt the Dolphins in, in terms of field position. So, yeah, not good. And you can bet Darren Rizzi is going to let the Miami Dolphins special team unit know about this because he's definitely prideful when it comes to, to that to that unit and how it, how it impacts the game. Paul, uh, we're going to do this each week as well. Who is one player, one player that you're sing- you're you're singling out uh, as the player of the game for the Dolphins. Who is your who is your du- who is your stud for this week? I'm going to have to. You know, I flirted with a couple of players here. Really, one on each side of the ball, and they're both phenomenal athletes. I'm going to go with Ryan Tannehill, which may or may not be a popular pick amongst some folks, but. He did take the game on his shoulders, drive down the field for a touchdown, called his own number, punched it in there, and and really was effective, decisive, stood out there as a leader this game. And all all the reasons that we really went into when we graded him out earlier, I'm going to give it to to Tannehill here, even though there's some really worthy candidates, especially on the defensive side of the ball and among the offensive line. 
Tannehill's definitely one that could be in consideration. Not on the stat sheet, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're against a, in his first game, new offensive coordinator, a very quality opponent. I, I thought he did more than enough to to win the game. Uh, my my stud in here is going to be is going to be Isa Abdul Qudis, uh, the safety. Not only did he have a, a very good interception, I just thought he changed the entire dynamic of the defense. Now you have a running mate with Rashad Jones, where Jones can now focus on cutting down passing lanes, moving up into the box, cutting into the back, doing what he does best instead of having a lot of, of coverage responsibilities. My dud for the game, Paul, you may have to pick another one because there's no way we're not going to focus on the same guy as Kenny Stills. I mean, there was an opportunity for Kenny Stills to really bust the game wide open, not only once, but in a couple of situations. The 71-yard drop was embarrassing, would have changed the entire landscape of the game. Paul, who's your dud for the week? I, I actually flirted with the idea of Stills, but I think he's taking entirely too much of the blame here, even though, obviously, Dolphins most likely would have won the game at that point in time if uh, he had caught that. But you know what? There were two other plays both where the same exact player was involved, that either one of those, if you look at them in a vacuum, changed the score of this game to 13 to 12. Either one of those. So I'm going to throw it at Andrew Franks for all the reasons you mentioned before and some of the ones I did regarding the special teams. Missing the chip shot, taking it a little too low. You know, it's not like he needed great distance, so he could have lofted a little extra height and things like that. It's a tough job being that kicker. You're out there on the island, unfortunately, in this scenario, that island sank in this game. Hopefully he gets a chance to come out and redeem himself this week because I do think Franks is a good kicker. But I think two missed kicks regardless of the scenario and a game lost by one, I'm going to give him the dub this week. You are listening to On the Fin Side. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, as well as subscribe to our channel on YouTube and on iTunes. And tweet your questions to with, ha- with hashtag Finside, F-I-N-S-I-D-E-Q, Finside Q. You've been listening to our grades and our breakdown of the Seattle Seahawks and Miami Dolphins. And if it's not on the left side and it's not on the right side, it is on the Fin Side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again. We rep our team, you can't change, stop or ruin it. All we need is to figure what to do to win. Fins radio, live and direct. Win or lose, we're showing up for every contest. No puppet talk, it's all raw and unfiltered. Voice of the fans when the season looks peculiar. Rockin' Apple Orange over here, then you familiar. Every week they coming through our speakers to fulfill the crap we have to hear about our team and all the latest news. Vets, the rookies trying to make the team paying dues. Current players and alumni interviews. City to city, state to state, follow the moves. Dolphins talk set to go Best sports team and show all across the globe Fin It ain't the left side or the right side And it must be the fin side It ain't the left side or the right side And it must be the fin side It ain't the left side or the right side And it must be the fin side It ain't the left side or the right side And it must be the fin side so low, so low, so low, deep. So low, so low, so low.